So uh, yesterday, my partner Don and I, we uh, we had to make a trip up to Harrisburg here in PA, and that was roughly an hour and 20 minute drive for, uh, for a thing that we had to do. And uh, after getting that done on the way back, the uh, song Finish Line by Skillet came on. And at the very, the very beginning, when it says, good evening, my people up in the chandeliers, the whining and dining, the menu is blood, sweat, and tears. I, uh, I thought I heard the menu is butt, sweat, and tears. And I just felt the need to share that with you. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> hi, everybody. And welcome back to a very, very special episode of Every Which Way. My name is Dana, and I've been a witch since I was roughly 14, so that's about, oh goodness, 19 years or so, something like that, almost 20. Wow, I've almost been a witch for two decades, my goodness, that is, that is something else. I can't even, I can't even, <laughs> I can't. Mm. I've got a nice hot cup of Japanese genmaicha tea from the Dollar Tea Club. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably my favorite. I love it so much. But, um, how has everyone been? How was your week? How was your weekend? Did you have, did you have fun? I know, uh, I'm recording this on Sunday, October 22nd. And, um, later tonight, Don and I were going to a Halloween attraction called the Field of Screams here in PA. And we're really looking forward to it. I haven't been to one for quite some time, and the only one I've ever been to was the Haunted Mill. So, yeah. Anyway, today's episode is going to be on my favorite Sabbath to celebrate, and really my favorite holiday in general, Samhain, or Halloween. I will tell you that I kind of use those two interchangeably. I know that some people consider Halloween a secular holiday and Samhain a bit different, but to me, they're kind of part of the same coin for, for a lot of reasons. That's just how it is for me. So, mm. one more sip of tea here, and yeah, let's get started. So, for the ancient Celtic peoples, Samhain was the start of winter. It's when the final harvest is gathered and livestock is slaughtered. Fires are lit to aid wandering spirits during travel, and gods and ancestors are given offerings. The dying god is laid to rest, and the goddess joins him in the underworld. The veil between worlds is at its thinnest. Harvest tools are put away, resources managed, parting of ways, and groundwork for upcoming plans are also what usually occur around this time. So this is definitely, we've entered and fully embraced the dark part of the year, I suppose. This is when everything is dying or dead. And yeah, the crone. This is the time of the crone. She rules over this dying land. Uh, the word Sawain itself, which is pronounced Sawain or Sawin, not Samhain. Do not do a, a Dr. Loomis and say Samhain. It is not that. Because um, in Gaelic, I think it is, the, the M and the H make a W sound. So 
But anyway, uh, Samhain can be translated to summer's end. And scholars speculate that it was derived from the word Samhain. <laughs> this is S-A-M-H-T-H-E-I-N-E, meaning fire of peace. You think by now... I would, after a couple episodes of doing this, that I would remember to look up meanings, but no. No, no. Samhain is observed sunset on October 1st to sunset on November 1st or 2nd. Uh, some people, you know, they like to do three days, some do two. And it marked the Celtic New Year, part of why it is called the Witch's New Year by some today. So during this time, the Celtic people would make a large bonfire, huge, huge bonfire to appease the gods, who would then help to regenerate the harvest process when the springtime would come. Many kings and heroes of Celtic myth died on Samhain, so it was big, big, large deal. Turn the page. There it go. Gods and spirits would play tricks on mortals. And some of these could be harmless little pranks. And some could be pretty big, not great things like straight out kidnapping or even killing. <laughs> so a lot of people made sacrifices or offered libations to them in order to prevent those things from happening hearths in the home were put out and lit by the fire of the community bonfire which had been created from a wheel that represented the sun so part of the bonfire the community bonfire was created from that wheel it lasted over three days and it was considered bad luck to not participate in this festive time Certain death was guaranteed to any man who raised arms during the festival. After it was over, though, uh, after it was over, damn it, learn how to read, Miller. Certain death was guaranteed to any man who raised arms during the festival. All right, um, so because, again, this was a very important festival, there was a lot of drinking and feasting. Sounds like my, my kind of holiday. Again, which is one of the reasons why I love it so much. Frightening countenances were carved into turnips to ward off spirits, and even masks were created and put on after sunset on October 31st to prevent their souls from being stolen. There was also the use of skulls and bones in addition to that. So when, the, when Rome conquered the Celts in 43 AD, Samhain was split over two holidays. And these holidays were call, called Lemuria and Feralia. So Lemuria was the Roman festival of the dead, celebrated on May 9th, 11th, and 13th. Lemurs are what spirits were called, and they were paid respect as they were the spirits of those who suffered violent and or just deaths. 
Feralia was celebrated on February 21st, and this was the holiday that celebrated one's own ancestors. Pope Boniface IV declared March 13th the feast day of all martyrs. And Pope Gregory IV declared November 1st All Saints Day to honor Christian saints, and November 2nd All Souls Day to honor all souls. The Hill of Ward in County Meath in Ireland was the sacred site of the Samhain Fire Festival. So that's kind of like the big place to gather. Kind of like during the New Year's, Times Square is where they drop the ball, literally. That's that's where the Hill of Ward in County Meath was like back then. Mm. Tea. Delicious. The actual festival itself is believed to have predated the Celts by 2,000 years. All fires were extinguished in each home so that the, they could be relit by the community bonfire. And in Celtic mythology, the Tuatha de Danann and the Fomor spiritual beings fought on Samhain. During the famine, you know, the big one that killed lots of people. Many Irish immigrated to the U.S. and brought their traditions with them. All Saints Day and All Souls Day. I almost said all holes. <laughs> I don't know if you guys picked up on that. Oh, I'm a little chi- literal child. <laughs> all Saints Day and All Souls Day eventually became Halloween, All Hallows Eve, or Hallowmas. Colonists adopted the Irish festivities like parties and children's games. And Halloween pranking was a major thing and kind of a problem. So much so that by the 1950s, most cities in the United States had come up with some form of trick-or-treating to help ease the pranking up a little bit. Around 1970, Halloween started to become widely commercial and celebrated by everyone, and not just kids, which is awesome because it is too awesome of a holiday to not celebrate. The LGBTQ plus community in New York embraced it as it was the holiday that allowed them to be their true selves out in the open. College students were having parties, their trick-a-shot events, which sounds pretty cool, not gonna lie, trick-a-shot, that's cool. House decor and wrapped candy were starting to be produced on a, on a large scale. However, some objected to the festivities, often referring to Halloween as beggar's night, viewing it as extortion and panhandling, and that's just... Come on, don't ruin the fun for people, you know? By the 1980s, Samhain celebrations were treated with solemnity solemnity and seriousness by Wiccans and witches in North America and the UK. Now we're getting into a section that is a little bit more about the past, but I just wanted to create kind of like a timeline of things, you know? What the? Hold on. Ah, sorry about that, guys. Uh, My youngest cat, Luna, was crying, asking to be let in, and I could not resist such such adorable and pitiful little cries. Alright, so... 
lit torches from the community bonfire were often planted at proper at property boundaries to help solidify those borders families and communities built fa- built fires called sound Salhuaganans to begin land rituals to scare off the fae. Later, this was done to help protect homes and farms from witchcraft. And in my notes, I wrote a big old lol exclamation mark after that because that is kind of funny. I mean... It's, it's funny how people do certain things to protect themselves from what they perceive as witchcraft. And it's like, you know, one could view what you're doing as a sort of witchcraft in and of itself. It's just, it's funny to me. I find it, I find it very amusing. Mm. <sighs> tea. Love me some tea. Effigies of a crone will be tossed into the fire, a symbol of burning the witch. Some Welsh communities had a ritual called a tinley, where community members placed a stone in the ashes of the large communal bon- of of the large communal bonfire, and if their stone was moved, that person had been claimed by the fae and were expected to die within the coming year. <sighs> Irish women would make candles for their neighbors and would pray over the candles that they received. Candles and lights were placed outside to aid ancestors during their wanderings across the Vale. A very popular tradition during this time was something called a dumb supper. This is where food would be set out for past loved ones and ancestors, and meals would be consumed in hushed tones or total silence. The exceptions, of course, being when the dead are invited in and bid to leave after the fe- after the feast. Cakes were set out for the dead in Ireland, and if a living person was caught eating them, they'd be doomed to become a hungry ghost after death. Children played games to entertain the dead, and recent events were discussed by adults to keep the ancestors up to date. After this was brought to the U.S., the tradition morphed so that not only was it done in silence, but the cooks would sometimes walk backwards and prepare food with their hands tied behind their backs. No one would eat until a supernatural sign presented itself, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool and a little bit funny. Now we're moving on to some creatures often referred to as the sheed these were fae that often liked to cause nuisances in the home and kidnap children some believed that they that they were the male equivalent of a banshee but often were considered actually to be the spirits of the dead and they enjoyed capturing mortals after the sun set one famous fae creature is called the puka, who is a shapeshifter and often appears as a horse, but may also transform into goats, rabbits, or old men. They tend to have bright golden eyes and can mimic human speech. They, <laughs> I wrote in my notes, they like to lure people for shits and giggles, and they tend to like farmers. 
these often these fae often prefer to appear by the water. Another one is called the Dulahan, which is a headless specter astride a black stallion. He is considered a harbinger of death. In, Ir in Irish mythology, the Dulahan is a coronation of Krom Dub, a Celtic god enraged by Christianity outlawing worship to him. So he became this creature. It is said that when he stops riding astride his mount, a mortal dies. The fairy host is kind of like the wild host or the wild hunt. They come out on Salway night out of fairy mounds and would usually consist of a rural hunting party accompanied by black baying dogs. Hunt the hunters themselves may be gods of weather or death or a sinful man's spirit or community cinders, perhaps even a lady in white unbaptized infants, woodland spirits, or the specter huntsman, who some consider to be the Dulahan himself. One of my favorite tales is that of Old or Stingy Jack. This is the legend of an Irish drunkard so mischievous that Satan craved his soul. And when Satan came for him, Jack argued that he should be allowed to have one last drink. And because in this tale, Satan is a pretty chill dude, he complied. And Jack left the bill for it for the devil, suggesting that Satan should transform into a coin to pay for it before they embark on their journey to hell. When Satan turned into that coin, Jack put him in his pocket along with a crucifix so he couldn't escape. Satan begged and begged to be freed, and only after agreeing to leave Jack alone for ten years was he allowed to go free. After the ten years passed by, Satan comes to collect Jack in a pub. Jack asked Satan to retrieve an apple from a tree as a sort of last meal before descending into hell. When Satan climbs the tree, Jack carved a cross into it, and that prevented satan from climbing down because it's a cross and jack would only help him down from the tree when satan agreed to never ever come for jack's soul again so after a few years jack eventually died but because of his sinful ways he was denied entrance into heaven and because of their agreement satan refused to give him entrance into hell but Satan did gift Jack an ember lit, lit with hellfire, which Jack put into a carved turnip to light his way as he wandered the earth. And that is how Stingy Jack became Jack of the Lantern, who could only be warded off from one's home with the glow of one's own Jack-o'-lantern. So isn't that pretty cool? How, how old tales like that form the basis of something as as tr as popular as a regular old jack-o'-lantern isn't that cool it's why i love this sabbath and this holiday it's just it's just so 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 deep and so rich and full of tradition and old tales that i can't help but love it during the Samhain festival mumming also called souling, was often done by the poor over multiple nights leading up to actual Samhain. 
they offered songs and prayers for the dead. And in return, they were given soul cakes, which were cookies with crosses drawn on top of them. October 30th was when children participated in something called Punky Night. Punky referring to their turn up and or beat lanterns. And I think that it's just the most adorable thing ever. It really is. No. The children would go door to door asking for money to buy fireworks that they would use the following evening, which was often referred to as mischief night. As the kids carrying the punkies were seen as sort of representatives of dead children, it was often considered bad luck to refuse them this coin. Moving over to France, children would ask for flowers so that they could decorate family members' graves the following morning. Oh, that's sweet. Holiday Halloween pranks were a way to fool the fae or possibly done for entertainment and to blame the fairies so that they wouldn't get in trouble. Things called disguises were worn so that people could avoid evil spirits. Dressing as hags, ghouls, and other entities is the prerequisite to Halloween costumes. Moving on fully to a modern day, Dia de los Muertos is celebrated in Mexico and was part of the Aztec culture before it was subjected to, to Catholicism. Having take place around July or August, it was moved to the 1st of November. Altars are built for past loved ones. Graves are cleaned and decorated. Skulls would be made out of wooden candy, and picnics are held at family members' graves. During this time, ancestral visitations are more than welcome, which kind of help differentiate it a bit from other other traditions by other other faiths. In the Slavic countries, such as Poland and Belarus, the Alamziadi is celebrated between October 31st and November 2nd. And this is where pagans in those countries would hold a dumb supper, which they refer to as a ziadi, on November 2nd. During this time, Christians would go to grave sites of relatives and light candles. On the Isle of Man, Haptuna is an observation of the Celtic New Year. On October 31st, kids go door-to-door singing traditional songs in Gaelic. Coins are given for UNICEF or sometimes for fireworks that are meant to be set off between October 31st and November 2nd. In Great Britain, Mischief Night, which is also referred to as Guy Fawkes Day, is celebrated. It was originally on October 31st but was moved to November 5th. Bells are rung, fireworks are set off, and effigies to Guy Fox are burned. Moving into some more witchcraft and pagan traditions, practices. In Wicca, Samhain is the end of the old year and the beginning of the new year. This is a time when the goddess joins the dying god in the underworld, giving access for the dead to the world of the living, which is why this is a time where the veil thins. Celtic Wiccans work with Celtic deities, such as the Morrigan, and hold common Wiccan rituals. 
For Celtic reconstructionists, the Morrigan is the main venerated deity, as Samhain marks when she and the Dagda mated at the River Eunice. Homes are smoke-cleansed with juniper altars dedicated to the dead, and people feast while sharing memories of past loved ones. <coughs> Excuse me. After the feast, divination and storytelling are done. In traditional witchcraft, Samhain is one of three nights when the veil is thinnest, the other two being May Eve and Midsummer. Some witches like to cast a circle for the living and a separate circle for the dead. Some visit cemeteries, burial mounds, or crossroads, and it is a time to connect to the dark goddess and god. Sorry, I had to take a pause. Luna wanted out and Salem wanted it in the room, so had to let those kitties uh, switch places. For eclectic witchcraft, Samhain is a very personal time of year and is often for honoring physical and spiritual ancestors. Rituals tend to focus on the dark part of the year and invoke gods of death and the dead. And there is a difference. There are gods of death itself and gods of the dead, which are spirits, beings, those who have already died. In Norse or Asatru paganism, the 31st is what is called Winter Nights, also called Elf Finding or Frey Finding. This is a time when thanks is given for the land, the ancestors are honored, as well as death and all wisdom. On October 31st, the last sheaf of the harvest is felled, blessed, and left in the field. The wild hunt is thought to rule the night from that point until the spring. Some fun activities to do around this time would include pumpkin carving, bonfires, of course, bobbing for apples, and one that I saw that I was really intrigued is apple peel divination. This is when the, pe the apple is peeled in one long slice and tossed over one's shoulders. And it is said to form the initial of the next of one's next romantic partner. One could also adopt an ancestor, go to a cemetery, find an, a neglected grave, and tend to that grave, clean it, report any sort of vandalism to it, and offer some water to it. Prior to leaving, give a prayer to the land or gods asking for the soul to be restful and the grave honored. Tell spooky stories, of course. What's Halloween or Halloween without a good spook? <coughs> I have a little spell for you guys. It is a spell to speak with ancestors. What you're going to need for this is a sacred space, comfy seating and clothes, pictures and or mementos of your ancestors or ancestor a list of questions you want to ask and if you would like chamomile mullion and mugwort tea but that is totally optional so what you're going to do is you're going to set up your space then cleanse yourself by taking a bath do whatever protections you may feel necessary pray to your deities anoint yourself with protection oil all that good jazz Dress in your comfy clothes and prepare food or drink to offer your ancestors. Perform any rites to make your space sacred to you. 
sit down or lay down and take deep breaths until you feel your body relax. Announce to the ancestors that you'd like to converse and say nothing else. Resume your deep breathing, noting what you hear, see, smell, and feel. When you feel the ritual is done, thank your ancestor or ancestors and ask them to return from whence they came with love and gratitude for seeing you. Journal any information that you think is important. When you are done, open your sacred space, bury or throw away the food offerings, and do a lively, life-affirming activity. You can... There is a recipe I have for baked apples. What you're going to need is apples for each person that you're going to serve. One tablespoon of maple syrup per apple. One tablespoon of raisins per apple. And one teaspoon of allspice cinnamon and or ground cloves per apple. And of course you can add or subtract whatever you want. You're going to want to core your apples and set them in a glass dish, a glass dish on a microwave safe plate. You're going to mix your raisins, syrup, and spices until all is evenly distributed. And you're going to fill your apples and microwave on high for two minutes per apple. If you're using an oven, you preheat that bad boy to 375 degrees and bake your filled apples in a dish for 10 to 13 minutes. I have from my Llewellyn's Sabbath Essential Sawing a prayer to the Morgan for women that I would like to read off to you just because I know that she is one of the deities often associated with this time of year and I know that a few of my listeners are women and I wanted to read something that honored both. <clears throat> Warrior woman, free and wild, stir memories of women of war, stir memories of women of death. We have forgotten these powers alongside forgetting our wombs. Bless the land. Show us where to reach deep into ourselves to find the point between temporary and eternal to draw power during our moment of struggle. Lady who transforms from raven to wolf, eel to heifer, show us what we must do to transform ourselves, to live according to truth and beyond petty rule. I like that. I like that a lot. When I read that, I knew that I had to include that. All right, and to wrap this bad boy up, I have some correspondences for this time of year, for this Sabbath. A couple focuses and keywords to keep in mind. Ancestry, death, rest, and wisdom. This is, after all, a very important time, not just for ancestors and death, but also to rest, to recuperate from all the hard work of the spring and the summer and the harvest all of the planting and stuff it is a time for you to kind of recuperate that energy and plan for the upcoming harvest a couple magical focuses and workings to uh that are best suited for this sabbath include healing protection renewal 
road openings, and divination. Some deities and or heroes to keep in mind. Caridwin, Erushkagal, Hecate, Hel, Kali, Lilith, the Morgan, of course, Pomona, Samana, Kernunos, the Dagda, Hades, the Horn God, and Terranus. Colors often associated with the Sabbat include black, brown, gray, orange, yellow, and silver. The silver kind of threw me off, I'm not going to lie, but I do kind of like it and I do think that it fits, especially since this is a, a Sabbat about and sometimes focusing on death and the dead, and I like to associate ghosts with like white or gray or silvery stuff, so I thought that that was- so while that initially did kind of throw me for a loop, I thought that it suited it very well. Sorry, I had to let Salem out. He was whining in his adorable cute way. A couple of herbs associated with Salween include burnt limited to Dittany, garlic, mugwort, sage, and wormwood. Wormwood. A couple trees include cedar, hazel, and hemlock. Be very careful if you want to work with hemlock because it is toxic. A few stones and or crystals that you could work with and would work very well with this Sabbath and time of year are Cornelian, Jet, Obsidian, and Onyx. Animals include black cats, which I absolutely love that because my Salem is mostly a black cat. He does have a triangular patch of white fur on his chest, but he is primarily black. Owls ravens, and spiders. And last but not least, some tarot cards that correspond with Samhain are Death, of course, the High Priestess, and the Wheel of Fortune. Alrighty, and that's all I really have for you on Samhain. I hope that that was a decent enough uh, explanation for it and I hope that you enjoyed it. If you are looking to kind of listen to something new but also spooky but historical and informative and also a little funny, I do highly recommend the True Hauntings podcast. It is a podcast hosted by Ghost Hunters Anne Rekovich and Renata Daniel and they are amazing. Seriously, I cannot recommend them enough and just in time for for Halloween. All right. I hope that you guys happen to know or know the drill by now that since we've covered yet another Sabbath, the next episode is going to be a Sabbath Spooks number three. Lucky number three. I have my own little ceramic pumpkin jack with a couple of couple of topics in here. Let me give it a nice good little shuffle. Alrighty. And this one. Okay, that's interesting. All right. Well, I've got our topic for the next Sabbath spook. So that's going to be that's going to be fun, I think. All right. Now I need 
to, before we go, I, of course, am going to do a drawing. And in honor of Samhain and Halloween, I'm going to be using Stacy DeMarco's Halloween, Halloween Oracle deck. So let me give this a nice little shuffle here. I haven't used this one for a couple of weeks. I uh, did get two new decks. I got the Wild Woman Rising Oracle deck and the Golden Black Cat Terra deck. And while I want to use the Black Terra one, I think this is the most appropriate considering the subject material. All right. There we go. Nice little shuffle. And let's see what our card is. Ooh, Night Song, Hidden Talents. Let's see what the book has to say. A ruby red bird singing in the darkness full of sound, like an unopened present, ribbons still bound. A bird singing at night is an unusual occurrence, and those birds who are known as singers of darkness are almost always considered sacred or frightening. From the operatic nightingale through to the hooting owl, hearing a bird that you cannot see weaving its magic through the night sky has captivated humans for millennia. In the past, at Halloween time, a night that the veil between the worlds was said to be at its thinnest, these birds were considered either omens or messengers of the gods. Depending on the culture, their voices were perceived as good luck and a positive validation, or alternatively, a warning about continuing on a certain pathway. In some mythology, the night bird was able to direct us towards discovering our talents and true purpose, a kind of guide in the darkness leading us to the dawn. Should this beautiful but shy bird sing to you by appearing during your divination, know that you must unwrap the present of yourself. Look! Some of the gifts within you remain unopened. The time has come to step into your true potential and claim all possibilities for yourself. There is no more time to waste. No more excuses. I like that. I like that a lot. And it is a very pretty, it looks like a cardinal. Very pretty artwork. Alrighty. Well... That's all I have for you guys for this episode of Every Which Way. I hope that you enjoyed it. I would like to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to me babble on about Samhain and stuff. And I hope that you share this around and spread the love. Help a help a sister out, you know? I would like to see this this grow and, and become what what I envisioned it when I first began thinking of it. So uh, I also have a, uh, a project that I'm working on, but I'm not going to get too in-depth with that just yet, since it's not time. But I hope that you all have a marvelously magical Monday, and I will see you witches later. Peace out, witch scouts. Bye-bye.